Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. The Shepherd's Crook exists to provide care, counsel, and resources for pastors. You can get more information at theshepherdscrook.co. My name is Jared Sparks, and I'm a pastor coming alongside other pastors, reminding them of the chief pastor. Hello, and welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. I hope you guys are having a great day today. It's a wonderful day in Southern Illinois. I've had a great time meeting with several people from church, and I'm now back at the house looking forward to talking to a new friend. Actually, I'm talking to him for the very first time. I'm talking to Will Spencer from the Renaissance of Men. How are you doing, Will? You doing all right? I'm doing great, Jared. Thanks a lot. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Let's go ahead and pray and ask the Lord's help, and then let's get into all these questions. Father, we just thank you for this time. I ask for blessing upon this conversation. I thank you for Will and the work that you are doing through him that's affecting so many people. I thank you for the church that he's a part of that you're using and helping so many people through them as well, through Apologia. I pray for blessing upon this conversation for every single listener. God, I pray that you would just encourage them. God, there's stories like this of transformation, of salvation, and being pulled out of a life in darkness and spirituality and spiritualism and paganism and new age stuff all around us where you're doing a work just like you've done in Will's life. And I'm just excited to talk to him and, and hear all that you have for us there here, here today. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right. For those that may not know you, I know a lot of my listeners are probably going to be, I mean, there's crossover listeners. I know a lot of my guys know about you already, but why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself and then what you have going on um, and uh, just bring, bring us up speed. Sure. So uh, I'm the host of the Renaissance of Men podcast which is about the 40-year history of the men's movement. So there's a there's a rebirth of masculinity, a redemption of masculinity that's been going on. And so I found my way into that world um, about 10, 20 years ago, something like that. And I discovered there's so much more going on than I think a lot of men realize. And right now that 40-year process is sort of is culminating uh, in, a, in a rediscovery, a revival of Christianity, of masculine Christianity as well. So my podcast has shifted in that direction very much as, as I myself have shifted in that direction as well. So that's the Renaissance of Men uh, podcast. I also do uh, 12-week men's mentorships, have men's groups, and have a, a documentary film project that I'm working on as well about the Renaissance of Men. Phenomenal. Okay. So from that, let's go back 40 years. If this mm. men's movement has happened for about the last 40 years, and I'd say some of the, the pockets of the men's ministry that has happened in evangelicalism, I guess, fits into that a little bit and mm. maybe maybe leading up to where we are today. So let's go 40 years. And then you said about 10 years ago, you kind of got into this movement. So let's back up. Where, where's the beginning of this men's movement before we get into some other content? Sure. I think the beginning of what I identify of the, as the Renaissance began in the 1980s with what was called the mythopoetic men's movement. So maybe you've heard of the book Iron John by Robert Bly. Got it on my shelf right um, over there. Yeah. So, so Robert Bly, he was a poet and a storyteller, not a Christian man, um, but he, uh, along with many other men, for example, the authors of King, Warrior, Magician, Lover, uh, Robert Moore and Douglas Gillette, they were part of this movement in the 1980s that sought to reinvigorate the masculine spirit using songs and myth and initiations. And it was rooted in Jungian psychology. But where the but where things really began was Robert Bly did a nationwide tour in the 1980s. He went from city to city, telling uh, uh, reciting poetry, telling stories to gatherings of men. And so then the journalist Bill Moyers interviewed him for a video that was called A Gathering of Men. You can actually watch it on YouTube. And that uh, was was uh, put on VHS cassettes you know those okay. big black boxes yeah and those were shipped those were shipped through the mail 
And that became wildly popular. And that's where I identify the beginning of the Renaissance of men. And so that kind of grew from there to also uh, printed printed mailing lists. So the early Renaissance didn't have access of the Renaissance of men didn't have access to the internet. So men were communicating like this with each other through the postal mail. So mm-hmm. that was that was when I identify when it all began in the 1980s. Okay. So if that began in the 80s, 10 years ago, you began to get into this movement or at least explore this movement. So how did you get involved in all of that? Yeah. So um, in uh, the real beginning of it was in uh, the year 2001. I was in college and I took a class in Jungian psychology. As, as I'm sure we'll talk about, I didn't grow up Christian. It was it's a, a recent uh, blessing in my life. Uh, but I was taking a class on Jungian psychology and uh, the segment of the class that we were in was about the Lord of the Rings and masculinity. And uh, I had always grown up a very bookish kind of kid, good at school, not really great at sports, kind of shy, kind of quiet, but good at academic stuff. And the images that were broadcast into culture about masculinity was football, pizza, beer. It was just kind of what I was absorbing. And so I thought there was something broken about me as a man because Mm -hmm. I clearly didn't match the popular conception of what it meant to be a man. So then I took this class on Jungian psychology and about the Lord of the Rings and I realized there's nothing broken about me at all. That, That the messages delivered through that series about masculinity are so powerful that there's actually multiple different kinds of men. So I carried that in my heart for about 10 years until I discovered an organization called the Mankind Project. Uh, That was formerly a nationwide organization that did weekend men's initiations. It had begun during the mythopoetic men's movement that I talked about out of the work of Robert Bly and Douglas Gillette. And so it it went on to initiate something like 70,000 men. And so I went and was initiated in the year 2013. And the powerful, there were many powerful moments of that weekend initiation, it was just 48 hours. But one of the most powerful things that I saw was you get to see all the men coming into the weekend from their various destinations. Mm-hmm. And some men drive up and beat, beaten up old trucks. Some men drive up in flashy new Mercedes cars, gold watches, et cetera. And so all these men seem really, really different. And then we get all of our external identity stripped away mm-hmm. where, you, where we're, just, we're just men. And yeah. over the course of the weekend, you get to see the things that men carry. And I got to see men who otherwise wouldn't have anything to do with each other suddenly bonding over very powerful experiences and discovering their commonality. And that was the first time that I really realized there's much more to men and masculinity than I think we were shown. And so Mm -hmm. 2013 was when I formally entered the men's movement, but I had been thinking about the subjects for about 13 years leading up to it. Okay. Fascinating. Okay. I've got Mm -hmm. a lot of questions and I'm thinking through several, several different things. I've spent a decent amount of time thinking about men's ministry over the last 30 years and just assessing culturally how we are, where we are as Mm -hmm. men going back into, you know, the 19th century, but then going into the 20th century, you have war, wars, depression, war, depression, war. You have the removal of the father going back, the impact that that plays on society. Then I don't know how old you are, but my dad's age, men, baby boobers, you know, grandfathers. So our grandfather age men Mm -hmm. are the greatest generation, hardworking men, disconnected emotionally. So there's all these different trends of why men are the way they are that are just, you know, you can sociologically look at them and and assess where people are generationally. So I thought a lot about men's movements. One of the things that I've tried to work on is rites of passage. And I develop rites of passage around the six masculine virtues. And I'm going to be taking my sons through these intentionally. And I've put all this work together. I'm curious in the, in that secular space, you've gone through this write um, write a passage or the stepping yeah. into this deal that you did in 2013. Okay. So what kind of work has been done in the secular sphere, sec- secular space space with this uh, kind of stuff with 
things like rites of passage, because there's lament everywhere, Will. I mean, everybody's lamenting men don't have a path towards manhood, both Christian and non, but it seems like very few are actually putting boots to the ground trying to figure this out of how, how we can actually do this intentionally, raising up sons into men. Well, I'll be I'll be really honest with you, Jared, and say it's really bad in the secular sphere. It's mm-hmm. really bad. So the Mankind Project was the largest organization that was doing this work. It had initiated something like 70,000 men around the world. In fact, I staffed a Mankind Project retreat when I was living in New Zealand in 2019. Okay. So it had spread to Europe. They were starting retreats in Mexico as well, really starting to spread to um, developing countries. But the Mankind Project was a secular organization. It got infected by feminism and woke, mm. and it it cracked. It, it basically exploded, collapsed, and exploded. Mm. Because, because when you have a, a woke ideology that just begins honoring victims as sacred, right, then right. you never run out of victims to begin worshiping. And how are you as a man going to assert masculine authority when you're surrounded by all these victims who have to have authority over you? These yeah. two things can't go. So the Mankind Project sometime, I think it was in 2021 or 2022, collapsed and, and exploded. Yeah. Um, so the secular world now doesn't really have too many rites of passage that are available. I have a very specific conception of what a rite of passage is. A rite of passage to me, because I've given a lot of thought about this, because I would like to build some my own. I'd actually be curious about yours as well. So the inc- essential ingredients of a rite of passage for me are it has to be, first of all, it has to be a something that a man can fail at. Mm-hmm. You have to legitimately Absolutely. be able to fight. You can't be carried across the finish line. And in order to succeed at it, you have to reach deeper within yourself and higher beyond yourself to succeed in that. So you can fail. You can't possibly achieve it under your own strength. You have to go beyond yourself with, with when, within who you are as a man and, what, and, and, and to God, really, to get over that finish line. And then you can be counted on. And then when you succeed, then you are recognized in a cer- by a circle of men who you admire. Yeah. That that singular event is the rite of passage. And uh, to create that's very difficult mm-hmm. because how are you going to create something that can that a man can fail at where his failure doesn't mean getting physically harmed and dying? Yeah, and that's the, right. that's because it's not really worth it for that, right? If, especially if man has a wife and kids and he's still waiting to be initiated. The one thing the Mankind Project did really well, I can say, is they did come up with a uh, they did come up with a process that that fulfilled all of those. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I regret that they're gone, um, and I and I hope to carry forward some of the things I've learned from them into the Christian space because it's slightly better in the Christian space because mm-hmm. there's the masculine Father God, Father Son, and Holy Spirit, right? To 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 worship and victim ideology is not part of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but as I think we both agree, it's pretty dire within many Christian spaces as well. Yeah. Well, certainly there are, and I looked at the list of guys that you've interviewed over the years and from Jack Donovan to C.R. Wiley, Michael Foster, the who's who name in both the secular space and the Christian space. Yeah. And the, really the market on masculinity starts with, I mean, you can do masculine things as a non-believer, as a non-Christian, but to step into manhood as it's designed Eden forward requires submission to Christ. It re- it requires the Lordship of Christ. Yeah. And so there really is this unique opportunity we have to, I think, lead with these kinds of discussions to say, to do things that are compelling to the men that are in that secular space that are not Christians, that they can actually look in. Not that we're making something that's appealing. You know, friendship with the world is enmity with God. God is clear about that. Mm. Um, and yet there can be something that is somewhat compelling and, and unique within uh, Christian circles. If one of the things I've encouraged guys with is you've got to move from idea to action. And when it comes to discipleship, 
God builds disciples. And our responsibility as we disciple young men, as you disciple men that are around you, is not necessarily the perfect formula, but it's just do something. And as you're doing something intentional, yeah. God meets you in that moment and builds somebody up right in front of you, changes them, shapes them. And it's yeah. the same kind of thing, I would think, with rites of passage, where if you get these things going, if you get a good plan, exactly what you're talking about, and then start it, fail along the way. But what ends up happening is that you learn it just required to get, it was just, it was just necessary to get the thing kickstarted. And, um, absolutely. So, okay. So now you're in New Zealand, let's get into your backstory a little bit, because I know that you're in the, in the, in the new age. I don't want to give spoiler alerts here, but I just kind of did. So sure. you have a unique background. <laughs> How in the world then do you go from that? Obviously God's grace, but then into apologia and doing this podcast, speaking to all these guys. So, ra- I mean, it's like, my goodness, look what God has done. So cool. So yeah. I, I, would, I just love to hear that story. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, the, the God's grace is, is the right answer. And I, and I, and, and I reflect on that daily. In fact, I was, I was at the gym this morning and driving back and reflecting on that very issue. Like I shouldn't be here by all rights. I shouldn't be here. It's only the power of God's grace that I am here. And I give thanks for that basically every meal <laughs> that I have and, and, uh, and morning and night as well. So uh, my background, the, the short version of my background, I guess, because uh, there are lots of aspects to it, is I was born Jewish, I was in a Jewish family, um, but uh, like many uh, reformed Jews is the term, essentially functional atheists. So okay. we would do the the rituals. I was bar mitzvahed when I was 13. You know, we would, we would go to high holiday services, celebrate Hanukkah, but it didn't actually tie to any spiritual reality. Right. It wasn't it wasn't a living practice, but I was made in the image of God. I had a hunger for him. And so uh, when I left, uh, I grew up here in Phoenix. Uh, I left to Northern California to go to college and was marinating in all the new age Eastern kind of values of the day. And that just became my faith practice, I guess you might say. And the thing about the new age is that um, the correct term is that it's syncretic. It absorbs and homogenizes all these different spiritual influences. And that's how you can get Buddhism right alongside with Amazonian plant medicine. Now, these two things have nothing to do with each other, but they all fit together in the new age world because it absorbs and digests and homogenizes all these practices. What that means from an individual practitioner's standpoint is there's endless things to explore. I can be doing Sufi Muslim stuff. I can be doing Amazonian stuff or Aboriginal tribal stuff or Indian or whatever. And so it's just this big fog that people can get lost in. Hmm. Now I managed to keep doing it for many years because I genuinely wanted to know. I would, I, would, I would pick up ideas and look at them and say, something doesn't seem quite right about this. And I would go pick up the next one and I maintained critical awareness and um, you know, there's a lots of different things that I could say that I that I that I went through, um, that uh, things that I've experienced, you know, various religions and, and practices around the world. Maybe we can get into specifics later. But a key turning point for me came in uh, 2015 when I went to the Burning Man Festival outside of Reno, Nevada. I don't know if you're familiar with Burning Man, but I just know the name. I don't know much about it. Yeah. So the Burning Man Festival is a pagan New Age festival, about 80,000, 100,000 people outside of Reno, Nevada in the desert. It happens every year, the week leading up to Labor Day. And it's explicitly, it's explicitly pagan, explicitly pagan. Um, so in 2015, I was just coming off of a breakup and, uh, and I went out to Burning Man because living in the Bay Area, that's what you can do. You can just go out there. And uh, I, I, was recommended that, well, if you're going out, coming off a breakup and dealing with grief, you should go to this camp called Spirit Dream. Maybe they can help you. So I went to this mm-hmm. camp called Spirit Dream and uh, ended up in a three-hour healing session conversation with three people, um, two, two women and a man. 
where I was just really having the opportunity to do lots of reconciliation with my mother and my father, really kind of pour my guts out, which I didn't really expect to happen, but it was really beautiful, the forgiveness that I was able to feel for them and the understanding that I was able to have for my family and upbringing. And at the end, uh, at the end of this conversation, I'll tell you the, I'll tell you the full version of the story. Um, at the end of this conversation, one of the women, Katie, who I think was probably in her early 50s, was standing behind me and she, it sounded like she was praying, but I couldn't hear what she was saying. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, with my eyes closed, uh, I had this sort of vision of the landscape at the playa, so uh, which is where Burning Man is held, a dry lake bed called the playa. Okay. There are flags flowing in the breeze and tents and people riding their bikes and stuff. And, and in this vision, a man walked up to me and he had Burning Man ski goggles on because it's very dusty out there. So people wear ski goggles to protect their eyes. And, uh, and I you could recognize the shape of his head and, 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 and the rough shape of his face. And I was just looking around and the voice seemed to, the face seemed to suggest like, no, look. I was like, okay, look, I see you. I see the face. And then uh, vision ends and I open my eyes and Katie who's standing behind me says, there's someone I want you to meet. Like, okay. So I go with her to the other side of the tent to um, the side of a pillar that I couldn't have seen when I walked in. Mm-hmm. And okay. she turns me around and she points me up at the pillar and up on the pillar was the face that I had, a painting of the face that I had just seen. Okay, and it was wow. The, it, was, it was the face of Jesus Christ from a portrait of by Akiane, who's a famous young, who's a young girl, famous painter. Okay. And so I asked like, well, who are you people? Because Burning Man's an explicitly pagan festival. And they said, we're Christians. We've been running an underground ministry here for 12 years coming to minister to the most broken people in the world who have a spiritual hunger like me. Hmm. So, um, so following that, I did not actually become Christian. Mm-hmm. I stayed in touch with them um, and I went to travel. And that's when I did many of the new age things that, that I had mentioned, for example, ayahuasca plant medicine, medicine, quote unquote, that Joe Rogan and Aubrey Marcus talk about. Mm-hmm. I, went to in, I went to India and I went to a, a, a festival, 190 million Hindus and bathed in the Ganges river where it's Whoa. clean. I went to a Buddhist meditation retreat in the mountains. Like I did all the things. Mm-hmm. There's just one problem. The new age and these other religions aren't good at talking about evil. They, they either say evil doesn't exist. It's a okay. trick of our subjective imaginations or everything is just one and evil has no independent existence. And I was like, I know that's not true. Mm-hmm. I know it's objectively not true. So when I returned to the United States in uh, February, 2020, um, my friends from, from Spirit Dream gave me the book Simply Christian by the author N.T. Wright. Mm-hmm. As, as COVID is just, the curtain of COVID is just starting to descend over the world, I'm reading this book. And, um, and just the last thing I'll, I'll say is that um, in this book, N.T. Wright talks about how Christ up on the cross, there was, a, there was a, a giant wave of evil that came to crash over him. And through his death and sacrifice and resurrection, he drove back the wave of evil forever. And when I read that image, I got it. Like, here's mm. someone finally talking about evil. And then I read uh, C.S. Lewis, Mere Christianity, and the Screw Tape Letters. Mm-hmm. And then I asked my friends to baptize me in September that year. Man, so. <laughs> praise God. Praise just, God, yeah. Right? And yeah. then you, you end up, so how do you end up in, from that moment? You're in Arizona. How do you end up in at Apologia then? Oh man, so um, so I, I mentioned I've been thinking about masculinity for a while as well. So in in the year uh, 2021, about a year later, I was speaking at a conference with Michael Foster, okay. and um, I had heard about Apologia because I had heard that they were doing an anti-abortion protest at the state capitol. 
And I was like, okay, any church that's doing an anti-abortion protest at the state capitol is probably pretty faithful. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't able to find out when the services were. It was I had sent them a message. I didn't hear back. They do so much. And I was like, Michael, I don't know that Apologia is still going. He's like, I think Jeff is still going. <laughs> so, so I ended up at Apologia a few weeks later and became a member, member of the church back in, back in September. Oh, sorry, in, sorry, not in September, in March of 2022, I think is when I became okay. a member. So I was referred there by Michael Foster. So. Awesome. For every listener, this is so encouraging because it's, you know, you can be in ministry <laughs> for a while and, you know, you praise God that God is raising up in our church families that are bringing up children in the discipline, the instruction to the Lord, and we're getting to see God do a work in the lives of our families. Yeah. And rarer is the story like yours that you go from where you were to where you are and every conversion from the youngest child to the to the oldest man or woman is a miraculous story i'm not Mm -hmm. taking away from god's sovereign work in the life of a believer or the life of a sinner and and yet man it's just gosh it's just so encouraging dude it's just praise god it's just awesome Thank you. Um, I, I really appreciate. I really appreciate that because this is this is my story, and yeah. so I, I so I don't know that I take it for granted. That's not the right way of putting it. Like we all, this is just what we live with. Mm-hmm. And so to, to to know that my story and my journey blesses you and blesses your listeners is very meaningful to me because this is how I redeem the actual spiritual darkness that I was participating in. Yeah. Praise God. And by the way, I knew I was talking to you. And so I went ahead and brewed up some Reformation coffee from our good buddy, Brandon Lansdowne. And so I'm drinking some Reformation coffee in my majesty's man cup right here. So shout out to multiple people there. That's right. Okay. Recently you were talking to, I think it was Matt Reynolds or another Mm. mutual buddy, Matt Reynolds. And one of the things you had asked him about was about the area of strength. And we're talking about physical strength. We want to be physically strong. But one of the things you had noticed is that there's also historically this tie to mental strength, theological strength, philosophical strength that could be lost in this movement of being and becoming strong. We want to be strong, but we also want an understanding of what that is. So heroes of the faith that I know your church uh, are considered heroes would be people like Charles Spurgeon, uh, D.L. Moody in a different way. Charles Charles Spurgeon is a hero of everybody's, it seems. Mm-hmm. He was about five foot four, 300 pounds, and was a workhorse. I mean, just wrote more and has published more in- English words in all of the English language. He is the most published person in, his- in history. So his Spurgeon. words, Spurgeon is. He wow. wrote 150-something books, died at 57 years old, and almost every sermon he ever preached was fully published in the English language. And so just a massive body of work, consistently worked, was 300 pounds. Okay, mm-hmm. D.L. Moody was just a little bit taller, but 400 pounds, and they joked about each other being overweight and fat mm-hmm. and this kind of thing. But they were genuinely strong men that other men could look to, and they revered. They didn't look down upon them because of that. Now, I'm not saying that that's the best life decision or anything like that. But one of the things you had suggested is that, you know, if we only focus on physical strength, and it may have been that that uh, conversation with Reynolds, it may have been some somewhere else that I was listening mm-hmm. to you. But I'd like to talk about just theological or or that that area of mental strength that is admirable that doesn't need to be lost in this physical strength discussion it seems like so many people are having right now would you kind of riff on that for a little bit yeah um you know i think i, I think it was doug wilson also talked about how winston churchill was although not a christian man he wasn't a particularly particularly fit man as well but one thing that gets lost in some of the historical discussions is that 
even though those men were quite overweight, their lifestyle was not nearly as comfortable as we have as we have today, mm-hmm. right? And so that's a, that's a really important thing is that um, is that a lot of these men um, were definitely probably hardier in some ways that that we're, would be alien to us. But I think relevant to to men and women today, um, I, I think it's very important as as a response to the conditions that are actively trying to weaken us. Like that's that's not a question anymore. Like our entire society, civilization, technology is designed to numb us with comfort and to actively weaken us in every possible way. And so the response to this particular cultural moment that we live in, that we were that we were born made to be in, mm-hmm. is to cultivate strength as a rebellion against the weakness that's trying to be forced upon us. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really that's really really important for for men and women to think seriously about, because. Um, I, in my mentorship program, the first thing that I lead men through is physical strength, because right. if you have a man who's physically strong and you have a man who's emotionally strong, and I say healthy, mm-hmm. physically healthy and emotionally healthy, if you as a man are, are physically and emotionally healthy, you are a stable man. If you have a man who you would consider stable, he's physically and emotionally healthy, right? Yeah. If you, and, that, and the third thing I cultivate them is, is I say intellectual health because mental health is so complicated of a term. Intellectually health, a man who is physically, emotionally, and we'll say intellectually healthy, that's a man who's well-balanced, mm-hmm. right? It's a well-balanced guy. And when you add spiritual health to that, spiritual strength, that's a man who's ta- a towering spirit. That is a truly healthy man. And it begins with physical strength. It starts there, physical strength and health, which mm-hmm. health is different for men and women, I think, but I think strength is, is a universal in its, own, in its own different ways. But how can you as a man know how to navigate through your life effectively against resistance if you can't overcome the resistance of a physical object? How will you overcome spiritual resistance? How will you overcome professional resistance? How will you overcome emotional resistance of shame speaking up for your beliefs Mm -hmm. if you can't overcome the neutral resistance of a a heavy weight? Because a a weight isn't going to accuse you. A weight isn't going to shame you. A Mm -hmm. weight is just going to sit there. If you can overcome that resistance, you are training yourself to overcome resistance in other areas of your life. Mm, Very good. That's very good. For years, I've, I've been a runner for about almost 20 years and just a novice runner. I've never been a marathoner or anything like that, but running has just been a part of my life, 10, 15 miles a week, something like that. Physical strength though, I, I'm just a naturally small guy. I'm 5'11", 155, 160 pounds. Not that small. And yeah. And, you're, a lean, uh, you're, a, you're, a, you're a lean guy. Lean guy. I'm a lean guy, right. Yeah. So I've... Uh, wanted to be strong because in pastoral ministry, if you do not pursue manual labor, if you don't pursue calloused hands, you'll never get them. And so you've got to be able to pursue that in some way. And so it's been fun getting physically stronger. I've been at the gym and now I've started doing this dead, late, dead you know, everybody's deadlifting and doing barbell stuff now. Um, so I'm deadlifting and that's been, been really good. Um, I want to transition a little bit because I, I want to talk about just manhood in general. Mm-hmm. Since you've been thinking about this for 40 years, I mentioned before we started recording, most pastoral failures have to do with pastors who simply don't know how to be men that have failed in the basic areas of Christian manhood when it comes to spiritual disciplines, when it comes to having little to no accountability, when it comes to spending time with women that are not their wives, the the Mm -hmm. basic things that lead a man down a path of destruction. And whether it be the office that blinds them to this, that maybe numbs them to the reality of the sin and the temptation that's around them, or 
several other factors, they just struggle with Christian manhood, the basics of Christian ethics. Okay, so you've been thinking about manhood. You're doing this work, regular podcast, long form podcast, by the way, which I think is unique and great. Mine has kind of been small, uh, smaller form podcast or whatever. But what do men in particular, what do you see with this uh, place we're at right now in the manosphere, Christian manosphere, Christian men's ministry, whatever it may, may be, where are we at as a state of men in America? And then if you had a chance and you do right now to speak to some pastors, how, how would you encourage them as men? Mm. Um, I think the state of our father hunger in America is so extreme. It's beyond father hunger. It's, it's now father starvation is where we're at. And that father starvation in many cases begins in, um, in our homes that we grow up in as children. It extends into our culture and even to a real hunger for father God. And uh, in addition to being underfathered, we are also overmothered. We are overmothered in our homes. We are overmothered in culture. And I believe that we're suffering under what I what might be called the divine feminine, a, fem, a female God, a worship of a female God. And we see this in the celebration of abortion and, and other things like that. So the problem is twofold. The first problem is, is men being underfathered. And so we need men to step in as fathers mm. to model what it means to have a human father because many men just don't have that, right? And we need to truly accept the word of God as the word of God and not fudge it, you know, not wriggle out of it. Mm. It's very uncomfortable. What is it Chesterton said? It's not that the, the Christian life uh, was, uh, was, was found uh, wanting, was found too difficult and never tried, something yeah, like that. Right. That's it's it. like yeah, that's the it. word of God is pretty, is pretty clear about how we're, about how we're meant to live. Um, and, and it's a very difficult. The standards are very high, but that's also why we have a redeemer in Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we need to accept the father's discipline uh, and the father's discipleship. And it's not a coincidence that those two words share quite a few letters in, in, in common. Um, and that needs to be brought against because it's not a one, it's not a one shot deal. Mm-hmm. In addition to being underfathered, we are also overmothered. And so uh, we need to flip those polarities. And so what we will experience culturally is as fathers begin to rise up, the mothers will begin to get very upset because they have an unchallengeable authority uh, in our culture. And you asked me to speak to pastors and in many churches. Mm-hmm. What I observe is that many churches have um, uh, have a pastor, a male pastor at the pulpit, although not <laughs> less all the time, fewer all the time. Mm-hmm. But um, many churches are also run by a whisper gossip, gossip network of women. Um, the pastor is, is in many ways hemmed in by that. And standing up as a strong man will push back on the spirit of feminism that has literally infected almost everyone in the world at this point, probably, and, and step on women's toes. And what I often say is that men's, women say, where are all the strong men? Mm-hmm. And um, the thing is, being a strong man will mean stepping on women's toes. And mm-hmm. sometimes women want strong men right up until the point when he might do something to step on her toes, and then she doesn't want a strong man anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry to tell you that uh, part of being a strong man is being strong, and that involves stepping on toes. Mm-hmm. And there's going to have to be a flip of the power structure in American society. And as pastors, um, I think pastors are going to have to start getting ready for that and yeah. rectifying their lives so that they can lead their households 
and lead our country and perhaps lead our nation back to righteousness. Amen. So essentially the power structure is feminine. If yes. that begins to switch and men become strong and the power structure goes back to a biblical structure of, of patriarchal power and rule in a godly way, then that tilt back is going to step on the toes of ladies who have really grown up in and felt comfortable in this role of matriarchal power. Yes. Yes. Okay. Now, to be clear, some women want that genuinely. Mm -hmm. Like, like uh, my most successful episodes on my podcast are with are with women. They're mm -hmm. they're hungering for men. Truly, yeah. genuinely, they want men to take the lead. There's right. a significant percentage of men. It was the greatest thing that I discovered when I started the Renaissance of Men was that there's what I call the Renaissance of Women happening as well. Mm -hmm. And there's a real spirit of men and women coming back together. And the ultimate goal of the Renaissance of Men is what I call the Great Reconciliation. Okay. Men and women truly coming back into union together, godly union together. So there are plenty of women that are wanting that. But there are plenty of women that are suspicious of it, resentful of it, and mm -hmm. will fight against it with everything that they have. Yeah. And um, there's lots that I could say about that. Um, I think much of it can be attributed to uh, mistakes in their upbringing, but mm -hmm. I think there's an active demonic spirit behind much of it as well. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I've, I've seen this firsthand in many of the men that I mentor um, who, who have been subject to abuse by their wives. There's a book that I recommend called The Abusive Wife by Dr. David Edgington. Um, he's going to become, it's an excellent book, excellent short book, biblical, very biblical about this is what it actually looks like for a man to be abused by his wife. Mm. And it's a, it is a very silent, massive epidemic that men are, uh, men are ashamed to talk about, including physical violence, emotional, spiritual, and physical violence. And he wrote a very brave book about it. And I'm excited to have him on my podcast. And we have to be able to begin identifying women sin. Mm -hmm. Women sin against men, women sin against children, women sin against each other, and it's not because any man forces them to. It's because mm -hmm. women have a sin nature, yeah. and that subject alone is very controversial. It shouldn't be because mm -hmm. it's true, but beginning to con confront that, that women are not perfect, flawless angels. Women have a sin nature too. Mm -hmm. Our culture is not comfortable with that, and we have to get comfortable with it. Yeah, yeah, that's good. What is the safeguards against uh, speaking to feminine sins and masculine sins and remaining in balance? If we have been imbalanced, then typically what happens from generation to, to generation, if there's an imbalance this way, let's say it's matriarchal or feminine yeah. power, and you try to rebalance to the, to the biblical center, which is father rule, how do you not make the generational error then of going from uh, one, you know, one ditch to the other to say it as easily as I can. I'm so, I'm so glad you asked. Cause that's such a brilliant question. Um, the way forward is you stop it in the middle, mm -hmm. uh, because it would be really easy. So feminism derived its, en en its energy from, uh, the collectivization of individual slights. So a bunch of women, many women were upset the way that they had been treated by men. Feminism collected all that energy, turned it into a battering ram essentially to break down Western society. Mm -hmm. So now those the, now the slights have gone to the other side. And so men are feeling rightfully so very put upon. And so the manosphere and the red pill is collectivizing that male energy. You see this mm -hmm. in the embodiment of someone like Andrew Tate to swing back the other way to strike at women back and yep. forth and back and forth we go. The way forward is what I call the great reconciliation where both men and women step into the circle together and agree to let it all go. Like Man. we're not going to settle on a score. I forgive you. We, I forgive you. You forgive me. We step into the circle together and go forward together because we are all sinners in need of a savior. 
and we're all redeemed in Christ and we can let the past go and move forward together. So Amen. that's what I, that's what I promote. Great stuff. Thank you. All right. This has been a lot of fun. I feel like we mm. could keep going for a long time, but let's go ahead and wrap things up. And I do this every single interview and I ask one final question and you've already answered it a little bit on the front end, but mm. it's as simple as this. I put a, I put the ball on the tee, let you hit it out of the park. Will Spencer, why do you love Jesus so much, brother? He saved me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he, he saved me. I he saved me from myself. Mm. Like the 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 pro, the story of the prodigal son is so real for me. The depth to which that continues to land in me, and and. And the transformation that I felt in myself and to know that I did nothing to deserve this. And this is a pure gift of grace that I get to be adopted into God's family, you know, called, justified, glorified. Mm -hmm. And then I get to spend eternity in the presence of the Father. <laughs> <laughs> Praise God. Yeah. Isn't that awesome? Oh, um, yeah. Man, it's just so good. There's a William Cooper song. There is a fountain filled with blood. And at the end, uh, before the final line, I think it's the third, he said, redeeming love shall be my theme and will, and shall redeeming love has been my theme and shall be till I die. And I became a Christian when I was young brother. And then years later, like so many, I was 20 years old and God just got a hold of me with the book of Galatians and grace just took over my life. I mean, it was just like, God's just, oh, and so, amen. He did all this. He saved us, bro. Man, that's good. He saved us. It's so real. <laughs> uh, this has been a ton of fun. For, for those that have enjoyed this and want to hear more from you, where can they find out more? Send us your way. Um, I've been very active on Twitter lately. So that's re at Ren of Men, R-E-N-O-F-M-E-N, -E like Renaissance of Men, but shorter at Ren of Men. You can also go to my link tree, link tree slash Ren of Men, and you can find everything there from my men's mentorship to my podcast, YouTube videos. And I'm having, speaking of the Great Reconciliation on Saturday, June 3rd. So coming up in about a week and a half, I'm having uh, uh, my second edition of the Renaissance of Men digital conference featuring a lineup of all female speakers, seven women who will all be discipling women in the, in the virtues of the Proverbs 31 woman. So it's a full day event online via Zoom. Uh, you can buy tickets on Eventbrite. If you use the code Ren of Men, you can take $5 off. So you can find all that on my link tree slash Ren of Men. Very excited about this event. Awesome. Well, guys, I'll include all that in the show notes. Be on the lookout. Uh, for all that's going on with Ren of Men. And thanks so much. We've been talking to Will Spencer. Will, thanks for coming on the show, brother. Thanks for having me on, Jared. God bless.